Welcome new community family to our HoopFest weekend podcast. Whether you are playing in the tournament, cheering on a loved one, or decided to intentionally pursue some time with your community, we are hopeful you engaged in meaningful ways this weekend. Before we jump into our podcasted service, let me remind you of an upcoming opportunity for connection. We're hosting a few hikes this summer, and the first one is this coming Saturday, July 1st. This is a low barrier, easy way to connect with some new people in our community, open to anyone and any level or experience of outdoorsiness. You can find more details and RSVP either through our website or in our weekly In The Loop email. And now, take a few deep breaths to center yourself as we begin our podcast service. Come true light. Come life eternal. Come hidden mystery. Come treasure without name. Come reality beyond all words. Come person beyond all understanding. Come rejoicing without end. Come light that knows no evening. Come unfailing expectation of the saved. Come raising of the fallen. Come resurrection of the dead. Come all powerful, for you unceasingly create, refashion and change all things by your will alone. Come invisible whom none may touch and handle. Come for you, continue always unmoved, yet at every instant you are wholly in movement. Come you who draws near to us who live on earth, and yet you remain higher than the heavens. Come for your name fills our hearts with longing and is ever on our lips, yet who you are we cannot say or know. Come alone to the alone. Come for you are the desire that is within me. Come my breath and my life. Come the consolation of a humble soul. Come my joy, my glory, my endless delight. Come. Show grace toward us, O merciful Father. In your compassion, forgive us our sins, those known and unknown, things done and left undone. Uphold us by your Spirit that we may live before you in openness and integrity and bring honor and glory of your name. Together we pray for our families, friends, and neighbors, for our community, our city, and the world. For all people in their daily life and occupations, may the splendor of Christ overwhelm you. May you take off your shoes, aware that you are ever in the presence of the holy and living God. We pray for those in danger or in a constant state of fear. For those who are alone or are in any kind of trouble. For victims of hunger and oppression. We pray for peace, freedom, and hope. For all who work for justice and peace, for those who minister to the sick and the needy, 
for those who proclaim the gospel and seek the unity of the church of God. May God reach out to you and nourish you, and may Christ renew you in the image of your Creator. May the God of Abraham, the God who sent Jesus to redeem us, the God whose covenant is eternal, hear us. We exalt you, O God, our King, and praise your name forever. And we pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. New community, welcome to the podcast. This is a recording for Hoop Fest Weekend, June 25th, year of our Lord, 2023. Hopefully you are spending some time today or maybe yesterday, day before yesterday, interacting with the community, being involved in the city, uh, getting out and supporting players and people in the community that um, are enjoying the game of basketball. Our downtown is uh, thriving, and we want to be in a space where we're out and amongst the people, be the church, not just in a building, but be the church scattered and uh, affecting the city, relationship building, neighboring well with uh, people. Uh, That is our hope and our intent. This morning, we want to take uh, what would be considered a prophetic pause. Prophetic pause is really just a chance to put a series on hold and speak about what we might sense the Spirit is saying to the community. So by no means do we claim the skill to know without a shadow of a doubt what the Spirit is saying to the church. This is simply an attempt to name what might be stirring and what could motivate us to sow more shalom and claim more for the kingdom of God. I want to start our time this morning with a quote. Quote goes this way, We live in a time when faith is thin because our aching for what is above and beyond us has been anathematized and our Capacity for wonder reduced to clever tricks. A.W. Tozer, speaking about this same idea, states, Culture is putting out the light in men and women's souls. There's this sense that when we were younger, it seems we were filled with a creative imagination. A sense of belief that anything is possible and that we might participate in wide open spaces of that which is astounding. And maybe you remember a time when you thought anything was possible. You thought you could fly. You practiced hitting the buzzer beater or the home run to win the series. You imagined yourself as this amazing designer or architect or computer whiz. We all had characters we imagined we would be, and I obviously, dreamed of being a professional soccer player. I studied the game. I knew all of my favorite players, uh, even prayed before bed night after night after night that I would be five foot, 11 inches tall because at the time, all of my favorite soccer players were that height. And I dreamed of playing in the World Cup. I even took German in middle school because the best team at the time were the Germans, and I figured if I learned German, I could more easily communicate with all my teammates as a professional soccer player. Now, remember, I was a middle schooler. 
But I think I thought that way about faith too. I thought that if God could told us to reach the world, then it was actually possible. I would often think of how the world would look when God's kingdom took up more and more space in our experience. But it seems that there's this experience in the church today that is slowly eroding and removing the wonder. Maybe we could say eliminating the possible. Where we find ourselves trading in the mystery of dreaming and reaching for the not yet. The attainable and instead morphing into being content with the status quo. Settling for the mundane. We've lost belief. We've failed to develop resilience. We have settled. Recently, I've re-engaged with the story of Nehemiah. This is an ancient book highlighting an ancient character who I think fails to get the attention that he deserves in the church. Um, Somehow he's not seen as one of the more influential characters of the scripture and so gets tossed aside and is primarily... Nehemiah is used in two ways, at least the church has in the past, used this particular book, this captivating study to discuss leadership or to prepare for the next capital campaign. My hope this morning is to have us resonate with Nehemiah as a character, a character who has a lot to teach us about a a heart for the city, a love of neighbor, a belief that you are the answers to your prayers a person of wonder and imagination that still believes in the possible. Maybe the not yet, but the still imagined. And I want to highlight a few characteristics of Nehemiah that are found in the opening verses of the book, and I'm hoping they can serve as a bit of a guide for our continued following of the Spirit into the unknown. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, it states this, now it happened in the month of Chislev in the twelfth year or twentieth year, as I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanai, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who has survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. The first thing that you notice was Nehemiah was moved. This is one of the first things that stands out is that he has this interaction with his brother. His brother happens to visit, and seemingly nonchalantly, Nehemiah asks how the homeland is. And then he hears that people have escaped from exile, but the place is in great trouble and shame. And Nehemiah hears this and has a complete meltdown. The text says, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah is having a moment. But here's what is unusual. Nehemiah had most likely never been to the city. 
The walls of Jerusalem had been destroyed for over 134 years before this moment is recounted. So this is not news. This is likely not the first time that Nehemiah has heard this. So to give you some perspective, this would be the equivalent of you hearing again about the Chicago fire of 1871. Now, the worst recorded fire of American history killed nearly 3,000 people, burned a million and a half acres of land, and destroyed nearly 20,000 buildings. But it's like you hearing about that again and then having a total meltdown, completely losing it, weeping, tearing your clothes, putting on sackcloth and ashes, just weeping and fasting and crying. And so we have to ask the question, what is up with that? What changed for Nehemiah? How was he gripped suddenly by the reality of the situation? And what allowed that particular situation to so truly affect him, to move him, to cause him to be stirred with compassion to the place where he deemed that something had to happen? This is a question I'm asking myself. I sense this collective questioning about what is stirring us. And so we have to ask, what is stirring you? What is stirring me? And what if we're not stirred? What does that mean? Where are we longing for shalom and wholeness and fullness? And is the events of the day, the moment in time that we exist, is that moving us in a similar way that it moved Nehemiah? The second thing we noticed is that Nehemiah was first moved, but then he responded. Text says, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah was moved to instant action. He actively took an approach to fix the situation. But what's interesting to me is that Nehemiah did not start where I often start. Nehemiah didn't just begin to roll up his sleeves. He didn't take out a shovel and start digging. He didn't get on the phones to start a project. He didn't put together a plan or start to raise funds. Nehemiah simply got on his knees. He began to pray. I wonder, Newcomb, if perhaps Nehemiah by way of this illustration, is challenging us to consider prayer and fasting as much kingdom work as any other thing. Because many of us consider prayer and fasting as important, but when push comes to to shove, we try to figure it out on our own first, or we come up with our own plan, or we resort to prayer and fasting when all else fails. But what happens with Nehemiah is that he begins there. His active engagement with the obstacles and the challenges and the things needing change didn't result in him just starting to put together more energy, more effort, more time, more commitment. Instead, it resulted in him bowing the knee and fasting and begging God to move on his behalf. And so, again, I ask myself this question and with it, in an echo, I ask you, 
when we are moved, what is our first response? And where is our response of prayer and fasting? Have we continued to be a community that turns to God? Are you an individual that gets on your knees and begs God to move on behalf of your family, on behalf of the city, on behalf of initiatives that are needing to happen, on behalf of God's kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so Nehemiah was moved, then Nehemiah responded. The third thing we notice is that Nehemiah expected the unexpected. It says, as we continue reading in verse 5, And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We've acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Now this prayer needs a little bit of context. In Ezra 4, King Artaxerxes had ordered the rebuilding of the walls to cease. So there was a decree in the land that was the opposite of what Nehemiah was praying for. So Nehemiah was praying for God to do the unexpected. He was basically asking the king to repair the place his nation had earlier destroyed. In fact, he's asking the king that the king would reverse the very decree that he established. This is a big ask. Nehemiah is asking for a prayer that would move a whole nation and a world leader to reverse the very course of action they had and to change, completely change. That's a big ask. I've been asking myself recently if I have started to eliminate the big asks in my life. When I was little... Maybe this is true of you too. The things we would pray for were preposterous. We would ask for things beyond the possible. We had no idea of what was truly realistic, what God was capable of. And I have a growing concern that I've perhaps stopped praying that way. A prayer that requires God to show up, a prayer that expects the unexpected. And maybe what I've done instead is settled into a place where I know what I can expect from God or what it seems realistic, and then I only ask for that. Or what I really think is possible, and then pray and work to that end. But what that does is it, limit it eliminates or limits 
the very possibilities. It establishes already the reality of what I think God can do rather than expecting the unexpected. And what tends to happen when we expect the unexpected is that God shows up. It's part of what faith is about. God shows up and does what is beyond anything we could ask or imagine, as the text says. And then he gets the credit. But I do wonder if we've stopped asking him to do things that would spark wonder. And perhaps what we need to do is to begin again asking for the impossible. That leads us to the fourth and final idea. Nehemiah didn't just ask for the unexpected. He rendered God big enough. He rendered God big enough to actually accomplish the thing he was praying for. Again, to understand what's going on here, you have to know a little bit about Nehemiah's job. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. Now, the cupbearer had a pretty cool gig in the sense that he tasted the wine and the food for the king, and that meant that anything the king would eat, anything the king would drink, he had the first opportunity to taste the spoils. The downside was that the cupbearer was constantly putting his life on the line for the king because if the wine was poisoned or the food was corrupted in a particular way, Nehemiah would be the one that would expose that with his life. So Nehemiah became one of the more trusted persons of the king, a bit of a right-hand man. So the pluses were that cupbearers were with king all the time. They lived in the palace with ease. They were constantly in the presence of royalty. The downsides being that you could die on the job, that you were disposable. But Nehemiah wasn't just the cupbearer to any king, but this would have been one of the most powerful kings. If you've ever seen the movie 300, you're probably familiar with King Xerxes. Now, the king that Nehemiah served would have been the son of this king, and some actually believe that he may have served King Xerxes, one of the most powerful men that has ever lived. And yet, Nehemiah counted God as bigger than the people or the objects that stood in the way of God's plan. You see this evidenced in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11, when he says this, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. So he's about to go in and plead for his cause. He's about to go in and ask for the unexpected, the reversal of a decree, the, the, the financing of a significant project. And yet Nehemiah counted God as bigger than the people or the objects that stood in the way. And I, again, have to admit that I often allow the circumstances or the people that stand in the way to garner my attention. I begin to fixate on what the circumstances are and how to remove them or to figure them out or to overcome them, accomplish something, rather than counting God bigger than the situation or bigger than the person. Maybe you stress and worry about who you're making the appeal to. And so instead of thinking about the ways in which 
We cannot reach a city, could not accomplish task that God has put before us. Nehemiah drives home this idea that regardless of the situation, regardless of who stands in the way, regardless of who needs to give approval in order for something to be accomplished, God is far bigger. And Nehemiah shows us in this passage the, the reverence that he had for God. I mean, he knows that the king is likely not going to fund this. He knows that it's unlikely he'll turn over his decree. He knows that the ability to sway and influence the king is pretty unrealistic. And yet, he lives with this faith, this belief, this ache that it's possible. And that's why we started with this quote. We live in a time when faith is thin, when our aching for what is above and beyond us has been anathematized and our capacity for wonder reduced to clever tricks. Newcom, don't lose the wonder. Instead, continue to allow your heart to be broken. Respond with kingdom action. Respond by prayer and fasting. Expect the unexpected, which will change the way we pray. And then render God big enough to come overcome whatever or whoever might stand in the way of his kingdom come and his will be done. Newcomb, don't lose the wonder. We'll conclude our time with this benediction, this blessing. New community, go forward in peace, for Christ has called you to live in peace among your siblings in Christ. Go forward in courage, for Christ has called you to be agents of redemption and partners in healing. Go forward as one body to love and serve God as you love and serve the world. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.